Welcome back to Mortuary Mayhem, a podcast by funeral service professionals for funeral service professionals, where any day above ground is a good one. Welcome back. As we were trying to think about what we should put on the air this month, as a professor, what came to mind was we're welcoming students back for their spring semester. So what would be the most advantageous thing we could do to prepare these students for the next semester. And for that reason, we're digging into the Cape Cod Community College's Funeral Service Lecture Series, and we're going to provide you a lecture by Dr. Shea on test taking and study techniques. Now, as seasoned as many of us think we are, believe it or not, we have a lot to learn, and test taking is a topic of its own. Take it from me. It's one of the courses I teach. So, I really hope you enjoy this. Hello, my name is Dan Shea. I'm a retired emergency physician, and believe it or not, I'm here today to help you become a better test taker. Now, you might wonder how in the world I got involved in this. Well, back in the 90s, about 30 years ago, I used to run a course a review course on emergency medicine for physicians who were taking their recertification exam. This is an exam that you take every 10 years in order to remain board certified in your specialty. Now, people get a little bit nervous, and after I had been running the course for a couple of years, someone suggested that I might incorporate a lecture on test taking techniques. I had never even thought about it prior to that, but I agreed to look into it. And when I did some research, I found out that there have actually been studies on high-scoring test takers versus people who don't do well on tests. And it turned out that the uh, good test takers or the high-scoring test takers all have characteristics in common. Now, the good news is that if you are not a natural-born good test taker, you can learn these techniques and get better yourself. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about today. So, of course, for some people, test day represents the picture on the left, and what we want to do for all of you is turn it into the picture on the right. So, what is the first step? Studying, okay? Now, it doesn't matter if you are an outstanding test taker you still have to study. Being a good test taker doesn't mean that you can ace a test if you don't know the material. What it means is that if you have two people who are equally intelligent and have equal knowledge, the one who is the good test taker is likely to score higher on the exam than the one who is not a good test taker because the one who is not a good test taker is going to be making some mistakes that the good test taker simply won't make. And that's really what it boils down to, but studying is where it all starts. All right, <clears throat> there are actually some techniques to study, okay? First rule is relax. Look, you made it this far, you obviously have some good study techniques or you wouldn't have made it this far, but the study techniques or habits that you formed in high school may not be adequate for college, okay? Things are, you know, it's been ramped up a notch here, okay? You're in college now, no excuses. You can't say I didn't have time. 
uh, or anything like that. You really need to uh, ramp up things a bit. So, you know, but again, you did make it this far, so relax. You do have the uh, basic tools that you need. The next thing is stick to a schedule, okay, and avoid distractions. This is very important. Okay, you don't want to just study, uh, I don't know, five minutes here, ten minutes there. That's not really going to work all that well. <clears throat> what you want to do is set a schedule. Let's say uh, I'm going to study from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. And then I'm not only going to rest, but I'm going to reward myself by watching my favorite TV show. Or in the morning, you might say, I'm going to study from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. and then I'm going to go for a run around the neighborhood, which is something that you really enjoy doing and that's your reward. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's whatever floats your boat. But you know, stick to a schedule and then give yourself a little bit of a reward as an incentive. And you do need some rest periods uh, in between. Now, <clears throat> it is actually true that your brain gets full, okay? Uh, recent studies have shown that your prefrontal cortex up in the front of your brain, which is what allows you to concentrate, does actually get filled up with a chemical called glutamine when you've been concentrating for very long periods of time. And the way that you reverse this is by resting and doing things that don't require a lot of concentrating. Now, it's going to be a little different for everyone, and it certainly changes as you get older. When I was in medical school, I could focus like a laser beam for eight hours at a time. Now I'm lucky if I can uh, focus at all for, you know, an hour or two. Uh, but it's different for everyone. So you find out what works for you. If all you can manage to do is study for one hour at a time, study for an hour, take a rest break, and then come back uh, and study for another hour. All right, <clears throat> now, how do you study, okay? There are effective ways uh, uh, to do this. The first thing is survey. Let's say you're going to spend the next two hours studying and it's 20 pages that you have to study, okay? The first thing you do is flip through that 20 pages. You're not reading it. You're just kind of flipping through and you're trying to see what it covers. And get some sense of the difficulty of the material. See if there's some area that you might need to spend a little more time on. But at least it's kind of like looking at a map before you set out on a trip. So just kind of know what you're getting into. Just take a minute or so. Then as you're going through, one uh, thing that can be very helpful is to think of the material as answers to questions, sort of like on Jeopardy, okay? You read something and then try to come up with a question for which that would be the answer. Okay, it's a good way of just implanting the material uh, in your mind. The other thing is read actively. Okay, <clears throat> and this is one of the things you should be learning in college anyways, to read actively or read critically. Uh, in other words, um, question, the question the meaning of the material as you read it. Don't just try to memorize it. Try to understand it. Okay, uh, in some cases you have to memorize certain things. There's just no other way around it. But in many cases, rather than just memorizing something, try to understand how it works. Try to understand how you, how you get there. And you'll, first of all, you'll remember it for a much longer period of time. The other thing is if you forget something, you get on the exam and say, oh, I can't remember uh, what it was that I read. But a lot of times you can figure it out because you understand how it works so you can arrive at the uh, correct answer. Also, recite the material as you're reading through. Okay, read a couple of paragraphs, and then in your mind, recite it back in your own words. Okay, this leads to recalling, and it's actually a very effective a means of learning rather than just reading the material and then going on. But go back and recite it, and this will also let you know if you don't understand it. You'll figure it out very quickly, and then you need to go over it again 
uh, and um, it, it'll be a very helpful uh, technique. And then at the end, always leave some time for a final review. If you're studying, now the final review doesn't mean you're going to go through everything, but what it means is leave some time before the exam where you can go through and go over the very important sections and also go over the sections that caused you a, a problem. <clears throat> As part of this final review, and this kind of goes along with the uh, reciting the material, but pretend that you're teaching the material to someone, okay, especially the parts that you have difficulty with. There is no better way to learn something than by teaching it to someone else. So if you have an audience, I don't know, maybe a, a dog that's uh, very patient with you and will sit there and listen, but if you have an audience, that's great. If not, just, you know, in your own mind, just pretend that you are teaching a lesson to someone. All right. Now, what are the characters? I mentioned that there are characteristics of good test takers. What are they? Now, listen, before I go on, I know that the cynical among you are going to be thinking to yourself, oh, this is ridiculous. This stuff is so easy. It's so basic. It's so obvious. Why is he even bothering to tell me this? Well, nothing would be in here if people didn't make these mistakes all the time. Now listen, I am a natural-born good test taker, and I've made these mistakes, even the very simple ones. So pay attention. All of this stuff is important, even if it seems very, very simple. People make these mistakes constantly. All right. So first, read the directions and the questions carefully. Read every single word, especially look for key words, okay? There are going to be key words like accept and we'll get into that a little bit later, but make sure you don't miss any words. The other thing is plan your time, okay? Let's just say that it's, um, I don't know, 40 questions and you have an hour, okay? Well, a quick calculation, uh, you have about a minute and a half to answer each question, but take some time off because you need a little time at the beginning to maybe just look over the exam. You need some time at the end for review. You might need to take a little break. So let's just say that we have a minute per question or a little bit over a minute per question. So calculate that out, and then every once in a while, check your progress, okay? <clears throat> 20 minutes into the exam, you should be somewhere close to question number 20. At 30 minutes, you should be somewhere at least in the 25 to 30 question range. If not, you may need to speed things up. And then include a break, okay? This is important. Let's say it's an hour exam, halfway through, somewhere around 30 minutes, just close your eyes, clear your mind, sort of like rebooting a computer. But this is actually a very helpful thing, and you can do it for 30 seconds, you can do it for a minute, whatever works for you, but it actually is worth taking that very short break just to uh, refresh your mind. <clears throat> all right, this is a big one, all right? Answer the easier questions first. What do bad test takers do? What they do is they hit a question that's a little complex and they don't know the answer and they say, okay, I, I can figure this out, but four minutes later, you, you're supposed to spend about a minute or so per question. Four minutes later, they still haven't figured it out, or maybe they finally figured it out, whatever, but they've put themselves behind. And you run into three or four questions like that, that can be a real problem. What a good test taker does is looks at this question and says, okay, this is going to take a little, little uh, more uh, effort, so what I'm going to do is mark this question and come back to it later. And you might end up with three, four, or five questions that you need to come back to, but in but the problem is, is that if you spend too much, uh, too much time on them as you're going along, you may run out of time at the end and then not answer some questions that you would have gotten correct. So in any case, 
difficult questions, mark them, come back later. <clears throat> the other thing is eliminate uh, distractions. Okay, uh, a lot of questions might have some unrelated information in there. Uh, you know, what you really want to do is boil the question down to its essence. What is the question really asking? Okay, what is it specifically uh, asking? Um, one example of this, uh, of a distraction, might be some wordy questions, okay? <clears throat> you might have a question that starts off with, you know, you're a funeral director in Des Moines, Iowa. A family comes in uh, to make arrangements for their loved one. Uh, he's a veteran. They want him buried in the uh, local uh, national cemetery. They want him buried in his uh, uniform. Uh, he has jaundice from liver disease. Which uh, of the following chemicals will you use for embalming? Now, none of that question matters except the very end, the part that he is jaundiced and that you need to use some specific chemicals for uh, embalming. The rest of it is all just a distraction. It's all fluff. You can forget about the whole part about him being a veteran and so on and so forth. None of that matters. The problem is, is that a bad test taker might get caught up and say, wait a minute, this question sounds simple, but there's got to be more to it. Why would they put that first part in there if it isn't important to the answer? Whereas the good test taker will look at it and say, yeah, that stuff doesn't matter. This is the part that matters. This is the essence of the question. Mark it and move on. All right. The other thing is look for hints from other questions. We'll give some examples of this, but you would be surprised at how often uh, a different question will give you uh, the answer to one of the other questions. All right. Another one is don't read into questions too deeply. There are no trick questions. Okay. Uh, a bad test taker is going to Again, look at the question and say, this seems simple. It seems to be asking this, but what is it really asking? There's got to be something I'm missing here. No, there are no trick questions. Whatever the question seems to be asking, that's what it's asking. Just uh, answer it and move on. Uh, and then recheck your answers, but keep in mind that your first impression is usually correct and you never ever want to change your answer just on a hunch. If you're going to change an answer, you have to have a really, really good reason to do so. And again, we'll talk about that later. But you're much more likely, unless you have positive proof that you, uh, that you now know the correct answer, uh, you're much more likely to change a correct answer to a wrong answer than the other way around. So yes, go back and recheck, but don't uh, change any answers unless you absolutely uh, know that you're changing it to a correct one. And then finally, guess if you don't know, okay? Uh, never leave a question blank. Uh, you, you're automatically going to get it wrong, whereas if you at least guess, you, you probably have at least a one in four chance of uh, getting it correct. All right, uh, critical steps. All right, you're now sitting down to take the exam. Um, <clears throat> number one is read every possible answer, even if the first choice appears to be correct. So in other words, you read the question, you read the first answer A, and you're maybe you're in a little bit of a hurry, you, you feel like you're going to run out of time, so you see that A is correct, you mark it A, but you're wrong. Why? Because A, B, and C were all correct, and the real answer is D, which is all of the above. Or the other thing is you might have missed a key word like except, okay? It may have said all of the following are correct except. So you read A, you see it's correct, but then if you read B, you see that's also correct. Okay, 
C is incorrect and D is correct, well, the real answer is C, the answer that's incorrect, because they wanted to know the one that was not uh, correct. Okay, that was a mouthful, but uh, I think you get the picture. All right, uh, the other thing, again, is your first impression is usually correct when you go through, but just consider every alternative. In other words, even though your first impression, when you see an answer that it's correct, it's usually going to be right, but just make sure that uh, you're not missing something. I know, listen, I'm a fast reader, and what I would always do is I would read the question, look through the answers, pick the one that I thought was correct, and even if I was pretty sure, I would go back and just very, very quickly reread the question, make sure I didn't miss a keyword or anything, and then uh, go ahead and, and mark my choice. And the vast majority of the time, it wouldn't change anything. But every once in a while, I would see something that I missed, that I misinterpreted the question, and it would uh, it change my potential answer. Um, the other thing is sometimes when you're having trouble uh, with a question, try to rephrase it in your own words. You know, you look at the question and say, ah, oh, what is this asking? And then, well, try to rephrase it in your own language, in your own words, and sometimes that can be uh, helpful and lead you to the correct uh, answer. Now, let's talk a little bit about key terms. I've already mentioned this a bit, but questions will often contain a key word or a key phrase, and these are critical because they can completely change the meaning of a question, just like I mentioned except, right? All of the following are true except. Well, that just switched it all around uh, and completely changed uh, the uh, question. And missing a key word when you're reading it, uh, reading the question, is a huge source of uh, error. And we've all done it. It's very easy. And a lot of times, especially if you're in a rush, uh, you know, you look at something, you skip a word, your eye just skips right over it, uh, or you think the question says one thing when it really uh, uh, says something different. So just um, be aware of that. And now the other thing is the key terms. If you're really lucky, uh, in some tests, you know, the key word, like the word accept, might be a bold-faced or in all capital letters or something like that, uh, but more often than not, it probably won't be. I mean, I know if I write the question, it's not going to be because I expect you to be able to find the uh, keyword without a hint, but I mean. All right, what are key terms and phrases? Well, there's certain words like uh, we've already mentioned except, you know, a few times. Another one might be always. So you have four answers and Three of them um, are often true, but only one of them is always true, 100% of the time. Well, that's your correct answer if it says which of the following always occurs. And then, of course, never is you know just, uh, just the opposite, which of these uh, never occurs. And uh, these are keywords that, that are very, very important uh, to keep an eye out for. All right. Uh, there are many, many others, but... Uh, you know, that's the, uh, the uh, basic principle. All right. Um, also, watch out for negative words, okay? When it says, which of the following does not apply? Well, this is another version of all of the following are true, except just another way of saying it. But some people have trouble uh, with these types of questions, these negative word questions. Well, one thing you can do is just turn the question around. And instead of saying, which of the following does not apply, say to yourself, okay, which of the following does apply? And then what you do is you find the three answers that do apply, and the one that doesn't fit is the correct answer. Uh, sometimes that can, that can be a, a helpful approach. All right. Now, let's give some examples of some of the things that we're talking about, some of these uh, techniques. All right. Question and answer association. Okay. 
Sometimes it's almost impossible to phrase a question without giving away the answer. What you're looking for is a synonym or words that are, that are similar. Now, in this case, uh, through in a medical question here, um, and we're talking about intubation, which is where you put the plastic tube in the airway and then put somebody on a ventilator, okay? And there are many different ways of doing it. So we want to know, of those, uh, nasopharyngeal intubation is one of the techniques that you can use, and we want to know what that means. Well, you don't know anything about intubation, but you can get this question correct very easily, okay? How? By looking for similarities, all right? Naso means nose, all right? If you look down, uh, answer C says nasal, which of course also means nose. Even if you don't know that, the two words are very, very uh, similar, right? So A is through the oropharynx, that means you know, through the mouth. Uh, B is through a stoma or a surgical opening, and then the last one is just something completely different. It talks about the esophagus. But the only one that is similar is naso and nasal, so that basically gives away the answer. All right. Uh, now, this, here's another example, and I took this one out of your board review course question. So this is a very legitimate um, uh, funeral service uh, question, all right? An inflammation of the muscular wall of the uterus is referred to as, well, if you put itis at the end of any question, it means inflammation, okay? Hepatitis is inflammation of the liver and so forth. Well, uh, metritis would be inflammation of the uterus. So all four answers mention metritis or inflammation of the uterus, so that doesn't help you to narrow things down at all. However, you want to know about the muscular wall of the uterus. Myo means muscular, okay? All the others refer to uh, in or around um, the uterus, but myo is the only one that means muscle, so therefore A, myometritis, must be the answer. All right, related question Exposure, uh, disclosure, I should say. All right, so this is where you might find the answer to one question in another question. And again, this is one of the very, very few times when you can legitimately go back and change an answer uh, that you have already marked. All right, I like history, so I threw in a history question here. All right, who served as Supreme Allied Commander in Europe during World War II? Now, you don't like history, okay? and you kind of dozed off during this class. So you look at it and you say, uh, I don't know, I've heard of General Douglas MacArthur. I don't know who those other guys are. So you mark uh, D, uh, General MacArthur, as the correct answer. Nine questions later, you come across this one. As Supreme Allied Commander in Europe during World War II, General Eisenhower oversaw the planning of, okay, well, that tells you that the answer to the previous question was actually Dwight Eisenhower not Douglas MacArthur. So you can go back and change that answer. Unfortunately, it doesn't give you the answer to this question, but hopefully you know that D-Day uh, C is the uh, correct answer. All right, all of the above. Okay, when you get an all of the above question, statistically, it's usually correct. Hopefully you just know the material so you know whether it is or not, but if you had to guess and you had no idea, mark all of the above uh, because just you have a better chance of getting it correct uh, statistically. But better than that, try to find two of the answers which are definitely correct. And in that case, the answer has to be all of the above. Okay, for example, um, which of these following muscles are found in the thigh? 
Well, I think we all know that the quadriceps and the hamstrings are found in the thigh, right? Especially if you have ever pulled your hamstring, uh, pulled a hammy uh, or strained your quadriceps. But we all know that A and C have to be correct. Now, you've never heard of B, the vastus lateralis, but if A and C are correct, then B has to be correct, and the answer is all of the above. For none of the above, there's no trick. You basically just have to know the material, and you have to know uh, that all the alternative answers are incorrect and that none of the above is, is the uh, correct answer. All right, relative position. This is something that, again, it's not always going to work, but let's say you just have no idea. Uh, this is one of those techniques where instead of making a wild guess, you can make a more educated guess, and at the very least, you can narrow down the possibilities uh, before you bark the answer and increase your chances of getting it correct. So let's say that you have a bunch of values. More often than not, it's not going to be the highest value or the lowest value that's correct. It's usually going to be one of the in-between ones. But again, uh, nothing. there's no substitute for actually knowing uh, the material through uh, studying. But here's how this works, okay? <clears throat> so I looked up the uh, most recent population of the United States, and here are the uh, possible uh, answers, all right? Now, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm actually going to do two things here. The first thing I'm going to do, if you look over on the right side of this slide, what I did was I placed the numbers in order because they were out of order uh, in terms of being listed as the answers. What I did is I put the smallest number at the top and I put the largest number at the bottom and I crossed those out. So I'm left with the two numbers that are in between. Notice the other thing I did was that these are in hundreds of millions. Uh, and what I did was I narrowed it down to just the first three numbers, because anything after the first comma is a distractor. It really doesn't matter. The, uh, the numbers are far enough apart uh, that all you really have to worry about is the first three numbers, and it just simplifies things. So again, a good test taker is going to automatically ignore anything after that uh, first comma without even thinking about it. All right, so now we're left with two numbers, and now you have to apply a little deductive reasoning, a little bit of uh, logic or common sense, and you think to yourself, well, which of these numbers is it? Um, I know that population control has been uh, an issue for a long time, and the population's been growing, so I'm going to go with the higher of those two numbers, which actually is the, uh, the correct number, A, or 332 million. All right. Non-parallel uh, options. And again, don't worry about these titles. It says things like non-parallel options and all the other. It doesn't really matter that you remember any of that stuff. In fact, ignore it. Uh, the only thing that's important is that you understand the concept. Um, all right, so in this case, uh, possible answers, they should be the same type of thought or quality, class, etc. In other words, they should have some uh, similarities, and it helps you sometimes to eliminate some of the uh, distractors. Now, <clears throat> here's a, uh, an embalming question. When you're treating a burn with blisters present, should you be puncturing the blisters uh, and either before or after uh, embalming or not puncturing them, or should they be coated with acid? Okay, so the one that stands out here as being the oddball is being coated, okay? The first three uh, potential answers all talk about puncturing the blister, and then the last one talks about coating the blister, which is completely different. So there's two possibilities here. Either coating the blister is the correct answer, or 
as an outlier, it's the incorrect answer, and now you have narrowed it down to one of three. So first of all, you, you need to make that decision first. But once you make that decision, uh, and in this case, you narrow it down to the first three, and the correct answer is A, that you punctured prior to embalming. But at the very least, what you did is you narrowed the possibilities down um, so that that increased your chance of getting it uh, correct. Now, judgment questions, all right? Um, these can be tough, but, uh, you know, what you want to do in this case is apply the standard of what would the experts agree on, even if you disagree uh, with that conclusion. Try to think like the test maker, and also just, this is not the time to express your own opinion. This is the time to mark the uh, book answer and get the, get the question correct, get the points, uh, even if you disagree with it. For example, uh, let's say that in class you learned a certain um, manner of approaching grieving families. And this is right out of the book. This is what most people do. This is kind of the standard answer. But you happen to disagree with it. You think that there's a better way to do it. And you might be right. When you own your own funeral home, or when you work for a funeral director who agrees with your approach, you can certainly uh, do whatever you like. However, for the purpose of the question, even if you disagree with the book answer, mark the book answer. This is not the time to stand on principle because all you're going to do is hurt yourself. Um, argue about it in class later, but mark the answer that you know is correct and take the points and move on. All right. <laughs> Here's one, okay, sometimes questions, it doesn't have to be a math question, it could be something else, but sometimes you get these questions that just appear very complex. You read it and your mind wants to explode and you say, oh, I'm tired, I don't really want to deal with this, okay. Well, a lot of times these questions are much, much simpler than they appear at first. And this is a good point, and that is whenever you're faced with a question of any type that seems a little bit complex, just relax for a minute and break it down into smaller components. Don't try to digest it all at once. Just break it down into smaller and simpler uh, components. For example, okay, this says compute the area of a circle with a 90 degree section of 15 square inches. Okay, Ooh, alrighty. Um, don't really like math and you forgot your slide rule or your calculator, but uh, this is actually much, much simpler than it, than it appears, all right? So what it's saying is that a 90 degree section of the circle, which hopefully you know is one quarter of the circle, has a, an area of 15 square inches. What is the area of the entire circle? Well, it's four times 15, and hopefully you don't need a uh, calculator uh, for that. So it turned out to be much, much simpler uh, than you originally thought. The other thing is that on an exam, unless you're allowed to use a calculator, math uh, questions are usually going to be uh, relatively simple, something that you should absolutely be able to do uh, in your head. All right, uh, kind of on a similar note, um, I always hated these questions, these complex questions where they, you know, you get this paragraph and then it's, uh, and then it gives you maybe five choices and it says, okay, is it one, two, and five? Is it two only, etc.? Okay, uh, these can absolutely give you a headache, but once again, they're not, they're often much simpler uh, than they originally appear. The key, again, is to, is to break it down into simpler components. Now, one type is where they uh, ask you to place things in order. Okay, what would you do first, second, third, and fourth? All right, well, here's an example of that, okay? Now, um, you don't know anything about trauma care, but 
you're now the physician in the emergency department in the trauma room when a trauma victim comes in. And what it wants to know is, of these five steps, which order are you going to perform them in? Okay. Now, you can very easily get this question correct, even if you know absolutely nothing about trauma care. It's actually very easy. Okay. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, what is the first or what is the last thing that I'm going to do? And you look through and you see that three, send the patient to the operating room, to the OR, is obviously the last thing you're going to do, okay? Because once you send them to the OR, you're done, all right? There's nothing else to do. So that has to be the last thing that you do. So you look down at the possible answers and that narrows it down to A or D because those are the only two that have send the patient to the OR as the last option, okay? Now let's try to figure out what's the first thing we're gonna do, okay? Well, <clears throat> this wouldn't be true 40 years ago when I first started out because back then we didn't worry about getting blood on ourselves. We would get blood on our hands with a trauma victim and then just go wash it off in the sink. But then along came AIDS in the early 80s and things turned uh, completely upside down overnight. And nowadays, I think that most of you uh, looking at this would say gown and glove is the first thing you're going to do. I mean, as you're walking to the room, you're going to stick on some gloves, uh, you know, and the nurse is going to throw a gown on you so that you don't get uh, covered with blood. So that's going to be number one. So there's only two potential uh, questions that are, I mean, sorry, answers that have two as the first item, uh, B and D, but the only one that has two, gown and glove as the first choice, and then send the patient to the OR as the last choice is D. So D must be the correct answer. And even if you don't know the order of the three items in between, uh, you could easily figure out that, that there really isn't any other option that has to be uh, the correct answer. So, so you should be proud of yourself. All right. The other thing is that if you have basically identical options, uh, two or three identical options, they can't uh, both or can't all be uh, correct because they mean the same thing. So again, something you don't really know anything about, but a little trick we learned a long time ago is that when you're going to numb up uh, a cut to stitch it uh, with some uh, lidocaine or novocaine, uh, if you stick a little sodium bicarbonate into it, it takes away some of the sting. Okay, but this, So this question is asking, what does it do when you add sodium bicarbonate to lidocaine? What, what does it do? Well, does it make the injection, uh, the numbing, uh, does it make it more complex, more difficult, more intricate, or more comfortable? Well, complex, difficult, and intricate all mean the same thing. So they can't all be true because if one of them, if one of them is the correct answer, then all three have to be the correct answer, right? So it has to be that it makes it more comfortable. It's the only uh, option, really. Uh, so once again, you know absolutely nothing about this topic, but you were able to get the answer correct through some logic, some common sense, some deductive reasoning. All right. Opposite choices. All right. Um, in this case, all right, sometimes you have a question where the answers present two opposite approaches. And the first thing you're going to do is decide which of those two approaches is the correct one. And then that's going to narrow it down so that now instead of having four choices, you have two or maybe three choices, but at least you've narrowed it down. Um, this example, and uh, this is something we unfortunately see in the emergency department, and it's always very, uh, very tragic, but when you have a 
victim of domestic violence, okay, is it usually someone who, on the one hand, has low self-esteem and feels kind of hopeless that they have no recourse, or is it someone who tends to be very assertive and has a strong personality and doesn't take any nonsense from anyone, okay? So you have to decide which of those two is more correct. Well, I think we all know that the more correct is someone who has low self-esteem and feels that they have no recourse or, or that things are uh, hopeless. So now we've eliminated uh, two possibilities and we're down to one, all right? Now, the next thing to do is we don't want to miss the key word usually, okay? Uh, because do they always have low self-esteem? No, but usually they do. Do they usually have no recourse? No. Sometimes they have no recourse, or at least no recourse that's, that's evident, but most of the time there is some recourse. We can admit them to the hospital, block their name, we can get them into a halfway house, we can do a lot of things. So there usually is some recourse, whether or not they uh, realize it or want to take it, um, there usually, there usually is some recourse. So keyword, and then just the, again, the uh, general approach, which, which of these two um, directions is the uh, more correct one. Uh, unfortunately, this is uh, something that's always uh, uh, very tragic and uh, difficult emotionally to deal with in, in the uh, emergency department. All right, now on a happier note, we're almost done. We're approaching the finish line. We're not quite there yet. All right, <clears throat> so you've timed things out correctly. Um, it's an hour exam. You've got 10 minutes, uh, 10, 12 minutes uh, left before you have to turn, turn it in or turn off the computer. Okay, now is the time to go back to the hard questions. Let's say you marked three hard questions. Go back to them now, try to answer them. A lot of times you'll find that they're much easier at this point than they were before. Why? Believe it or not, even though you may be a little tired, your concentration and your focus have kind of improved. Okay, you've kind of gotten into a rhythm. You're a little more relaxed. Okay, you realize the test wasn't quite as bad as you thought it would be. <clears throat> the other thing is your subconscious has been working. You know how like sometimes you see someone you say, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. I think it begins with a G, George, something. You, but you can't come up with a name. And then you're walking along a half hour later and the name pops into your mind. It's Dave, nothing to do with a G. But what happened was the little gremlin in the back of your mind, once you stopped focusing on it, that little gremlin in the back of your mind was working on it subconsciously. And then it just kind of popped up. The same thing happens on the exam. You might look at the question, and the first time you looked at it, you didn't know the answer. Now it's like, oh, I remember now, okay? The other thing is that you've been exposed to all the other questions, and you know we gave an example before where, where one question gives the answer to another one. Well, it may not be quite that obvious. It may be a little more subtle, but you may remember something from a different question that now helps you to answer this question. All right, and then a final review, okay? You've still got five minutes left. Go back, just make sure you answered every single question. The last thing you want to do is leave a question blank, okay? Check for obvious errors, okay? But again, never change an answer unless you are absolutely, positively, beyond any doubt, um, positive that uh, you're changing it to a correct uh, answer. 
Um, and this would be you found the answer in a different question as we uh, mentioned before, or you realize that you misread the question the first time. You see a key word, they say, oh, I didn't see that the first time. Um, or you just now remember something that you studied that you didn't uh, remember uh, before. Otherwise, leave it alone. All right, and then the very last thing is at the end, if you still have one or two questions that you just absolutely can't figure out, guess. There's no penalty for guessing, and you might get it right. You probably have at least a 25% chance, better than nothing. And always aim high, okay? Attitude is important. Uh, if passing is a 70, don't go into the exam thinking, all I need to do is get 70 to pass, because you probably won't do much better than that, okay? Go in planning to ace the exam, all right? Now, you may not ace it, but instead of a 70, maybe you'll get an 80 or an 85 or a 78 or whatever. But the important thing is always aim high, because even if you fall short, you're going to be a lot further along the road than you would be if you uh, did not aim high. Uh, and now my friend Ranger, who happens to live with your professor, <laughs> he uh, tells me that, it's, that my time is up. And uh, I'd like to thank you for your attention. I hope that this was helpful, and I wish you all the best of luck. I hope you found that beneficial and that you feel prepared for your next exam. You can find the full lecture along with all of the accompanying slides that Dr. Shea was referencing on the Cape Cod Community College Funeral Service YouTube channel. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mortuary Mayhem. For links to information discussed during this episode, please visit the website at www.mortuarymayhem.com. Do you have questions, comments, suggestions for topics, or want to be a guest on the show? Email us at podcast at mortuarymayhem.com. We should do this again sometime. Have you been looking for a celebrant course? Visit capecod.edu backslash funeral celebrant. Cape Cod Community College's funeral service program will be hosting the Insight Institute's funeral celebrant course in March of 2023. Hope you join us.